Welcome to episode 66 of Reading Between the Reels. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Craig Dickinson. I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Corey Heitschmidt and Justin Eldon. What's up, guys? How's it going? Hello. And today on the show, we're thrilled to be joined by Ian Desher, a New York Times bestselling author and writer of several Shakespearean ad- adaptations, including Get Thee Back to the Future. Welcome, Ian. Great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we uh, I've been trying to get Ian on the show for a while and trying to find the best way to do that. And uh, we're going to look at Back to the Future today, uh, which is a film we all love. And Ian wrote an amazing adaptation of it, as I just mentioned. So we're going to just go ahead and dive in. And uh, Ian, I'm going to start with you. What are some of your overall thoughts on Back to the Future? Oh, it's, uh, I mean, it's a movie that I grew up with, as I'm imagining we maybe all did. And so um, it's like, it's like a perfect movie just about, right? I mean, it's one of those movies that like just ties everything up so nicely and uh, doesn't leave any loose ends dangling out there. The performances are are all so good. The writing is so good. Um, I re I rewatched it in preparation for, uh, recording today. And, um, you know, I have a couple of nitpicks, but, um, it's, it is, it is, it is deservedly a classic. That's what, that's my take. Nice. So Justin, I'm going to hit you up next. What, What are your, what are your thoughts on back to the future? Yeah. So I got, I got goosebumps as Ian was talking because I, I completely agree. Like I, I watched the heck out of that thing as a kid. Um, and then I'd seen it a couple times since I've been older. And then once before this, this recording and yeah, I, there was just so much about it where I'm like, Oh, I have not idealized this in my head. This actually is probably about as close to a perfect movie as you can get just in terms of, um, plot and, you know, acting and just general, like development throughout throughout the film, it is it is fantastic. I would have to try really hard to find anything negative to say about it. Corey, what about you? Well, uh, hold on. First, I got to check, Justin. How what years was this <laughs> when you probably watched this? Because now I don't want he's talk the about youngster that. in the group here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was this the '95 era that you were watching Back to the Future? Okay, so. Every so I, I grew up in Arizona and every summer we would go like take a road trip to Washington State. And for whatever reason, one summer, um, we only had one DVD in the car and like we had like one of those little portable DVD players. And the only DVD was Back to the Future. Yeah. So yeah, okay. on that like twenty plus hour car ride, I watched that movie so many times. So yes. I feel a little car sick every time I watch it. But I still <laughs> I still feel like like a deep like nostalgia to it. Even though I was three years old when it came out, I I probably didn't see there it, it until yeah. This is going to tie. No, exactly I'm sorry. What my I'm sorry. It was are. it was three years old when I came out. Is what I okay. meant. The mere say. fact that you're saying you watched it on DVD oh. and not VHS yeah is concerning <laughs> to me as well. Yeah, I'm uh, and, and that brings my ultimate thought right there is because I think Back to the Future is of all the movies that I've ever watched one of the ultimate nostalgia movies for anybody who's seen it in the theaters or experienced any of them in the theaters. It takes you back to night. I don't think watching it today versus watching it, you know, back in the eighties and the, even the nineties, Justin, 
was is the same. It just has this feel of going back in time just to watch it now in 2023 that brings all these emotions that Marty's going through, brings you right back just to sit down and watch it. It is a time travel of its own just to watch that. And so I think that's one of the the biggest takeaways that I take for Back to the Future. If it's on TV, I have to stop. Scrolling through channels, it's right there. I have to stop. I can't. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to watch just a couple minutes, you know, if I have to. Um, the chemistry of all the actors is absolutely perfect. The level of talent and uh, what we're going to end up talking about with some of these things. But I would say the other part is I think when I look at Back to the Future, I would say if it's not the it would definitely be in the top three greatest trilogies of all time. Okay. I would have to rank it there. I don't know. I don't know how to, nobody, nobody (laughs) nodded their head. Yes. When I said that, and I'm a little panicked about it. Well, Uh, now you've got me thinking about other trilogies out there. I mean, yeah. Well, and, and I struggle with that idea because I mean, does Indiana Jones count as a trilogy now? Because I thought that one, but I'm like, Nope, there's four. Now there's going to be five. So maybe I can't count Indiana Indiana Jones Jones movies. Stop. There's five. And so, (laughs) so, you know, like I go back to the original star Wars, number one, right? So wait, so we're counting star Wars as a trilogy now. And (laughs) it opens up a can of worms. This is the problem with time travel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think I this say, is the problem with time travel. <laughs> this is not it. There's a lot of problems, but this but I isn't think it. This movie is epic. This is one of those. It is on yeah. everybody's bucket list. You have to watch Back to the Future trilogy. So okay. Now I feel like I need to list like trilogies. Well, we may have to have an episode just on. That's that. a podcast we have to bring up. Yeah, I, I think or so. Certainly. Okay. Um, is it my turn? Yes. Um, you guys stole most of my ideas. Yeah, it is an almost perfect movie. And, you know, Justin, you mentioned watching it over and over again. I could totally watch this movie over and over again. Like, it's, it never gets old. And even though I know it's going to come up, come up, it's like it just fills me with nostalgia and makes me happy. Corey, as you were talking about, too, about seeing it in the theater. I mean, this is – I did see this in the theater. I think I was nine that summer. And I remember my parents had already seen it. And they never went to go see movies twice in the theater. But they went again with me and my brother. Wow. So that's a pretty big deal. And I do, speaking of nostalgia, I remember there was a poster for The Legend of Billy Jean. I mean, that might even been playing at the same time. So that very much dates me at that time. But yeah, I love this film. I mean, it's um, it's the highest grossing film in 1985, unsurprisingly. It was critical hit when it came out. And now it's kind of transitioned into classic very smoothly. But the thing that I, the one thing I'll try and add to this is it was rejected like 40 times. The script was. It took them years to get this made. Like if Romancing the Stone wouldn't have been a hit for Zemeckis, this probably didn't get made. So it's it's you know it's it, that's amazing too. Just the whole perseverance thing, which is that kind of like you know put your mind to it. That lesson, which we'll probably get to, like that sounds a little bit autobiographical to me. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into cinematography. And uh, Ian, I'm going to throw this to you first. I know this is a little outside of your element, but uh, do you have anything that you noticed for composition, color, camera work, anything that stood out to you? Um, so the, the thing that jumped out at me when I watched today is how much red, white, and blue is used as in combination with each other in shots. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I, I started making a list of places that I saw it. Like notably, of course, Marty's costume. And I realize that's jumping ahead to costume, right? But he's in the jean jacket and jeans, uh, the red T-shirt, red backpack, and then the white collared shirt, 
right? Uh, when you go, when you see the uh, the backdrop where they do the um, talent show auditions, uh, you know, with the Huey Lewis cameo, uh, they there that's all red, white, and blue. The town is red, white, and blue. There's a sense that that uh, like this is an Americana movie. Right. Um, which is part of the whole going back to the fifties thing. Right. I, I mean, uh, so that just really jumped out at me. So that's, that's the one thing I'll, I'll say. Yeah. I love it. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's now that I, now that I hear you say that, I'm like, of course it is. That's working on us subconsciously the whole time. Yeah. And also the other one was that I noticed again, the jumped out at me Biff Biff's when he, when he's, uh, in the 1985 scenes, right. When he walks in and he's talking to George and Marty, uh, he's all in red, white, and blue as well. Huh. Interesting. Do you now have to watch the film again? Awesome. <laughs> Justin, what about you? Give me something from from any of the categories. Um, so just in terms of like color, um, it was and I, I didn't really notice this until Marty went back to the future, uh, back to present day. Uh, but the 1950s, it, it, everything filmed in the 1950s, it was quite a bit warmer. Um, in tor- terms of like uh, tones and hues, uh, everything just, it, it felt calmer. And then when you go back to the eighties, everything was quite a bit cooler. The tones were quite a bit uh, cooler and like a little bit more muted, uh, not quite as, as vibrant. Um, and that moment when uh, Marty goes back to his present time and he, he's in the DeLorean, like, immediately there's almost like a like a ping of sadness like oh this looks this looks (laughs) trashed this looks sad this looks not great but he gets out of the car and he's pretty excited about it um just yeah just just generally color there's a huge color shift even you're looking at the same scene the same location the same object and it looks quite a bit different in the in the past to the future or present sorry yeah love it Corey. uh I, I absolutely agree with all of that. I think the thing that stands out to me, a couple things, you go back into the 1955 time and it's, I feel like it is more vibrant. I feel like it's more, they do a great job, a beautiful, beautiful job of making that stage and everything they set in Hill Valley, just looking amazing. 1955. That was a time travel on your own just to go back. And I remember the eighties, you always look back at the fifties as that old time, you know, uh, you know, I lived, grew up with my grandparents and, and, uh, and so I think, you know, you always talked about that. I always watched old movies. I always saw that. So it was very nostalgic feeling. And then when he ends up back in 1985, it just feels dingier. It does feel a little dirtier. He crashes the DeLorean in the movie theater when he time travels back and it's, there's trash and paper floating around. It's just not the same feeling. You know, it makes Hill Valley look a little bit, a little bit, you know, run down. But to go back into the fifties, you get that nice, I don't know, bebop feel with the music and everything and and so it's it's wonderful so i, I really liked it um the thing i noticed this time watching it that really stood out to me when he goes to the to the mall you see the ground is wet and glistening you know and and because it had rained but then when he goes back into 1955 with the skateboard scene the w- roads are wet now they do that for an effect but it stands out to me because the whole sky is blue and it's colorful and it's bright so there's no way it could have rained, but it, it just stands out that that effect for making the car slide around easier um, for filming works. But but it's something I never picked up on until you intentionally watch it with some of the things that we're taking notes on. So, um, But it is a perfect movie, perfect scenery, 
and they and they do a wonderful job setting that up with the location and the color. All right, I, I got a question for you guys. Um, whenever I watch movies from the '80s, and right now Terminator is standing out uh, the most to me. And just the amount of trash floating around the city <laughs> was the did they like was there a litter problem in the eighties? What what's going or was that just how movies were made? What's going on there? I mean, I think about that. It's, it's you, like you're saying that as a joke, but then I think about it when we were kids, right? All the like "Don't be a litter bug" campaigns, right? And yeah. and uh, and I, and wasn't mm, I might be making this up, but wasn't those, "Don't mess with Texas." originally a litter campaign am i making that up or was that originally seat belts always seat belts i don't know that's a good question anyway. but i think that's true that was the don't be a litter bug was the campaign around the 80s this when that stuff justin it was there was just trash everywhere oh okay so <laughs> uh, i've always i've always wondered because i remember in terminator when when he originally like goes into the past and he comes back from that sphere there's just trash like everywhere i'm like what the what's wrong yeah. with this city what's <laughs> wrong with the world Okay. Okay. That's good to know. It's filthy. Nice. Uh, the thing that I want to point out, there's just, it's, it's a beautiful film, but the thing that I want to point out was the editing so much with this. There's so many quick shots of close-ups. Um, just even beginning with the fact that this really slow reveal of Marty at the beginning, like he walks in, the camera's basically on the floor and you see his shoes and then, you know, the skateboard slides over and hits the plutonium case which is fun. You get that nice pan through Doc's office or his, his, his house and his garage, essentially he's kind of merged them together. I've seen all the clocks and, and all of the product placement there. There's that one clock, which we'll talk about in set decoration with it's like Harold Lloyd. Actually, I'll bring it up now uh, hanging from the clock, much like Doc will later. So there's this foreshadowing thing there. And that whole sequence with him, like getting ready to, to, you know, to play the guitar for the first time. And it's like shot of the gauge flipping, flipping, flipping. And then you see the pick and it glistens. It does that a couple times too, but my I think my favorite one is uh, at the end. I think it's just a, it's a masterclass, just showing you what you need to pay attention to when he's trying to go back for waiting for the the lightning to hit, and you just have things like the cable detaches, then Marty's shoes pressing on the gas, the cables tearing Doc's pant leg, the hook on top of the DeLorean. It's just remember this, remember this, remember this. It just keeps showing you all the, the hand of the clock moving immediately. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. It's just it's genius. Marty's face, Doc's face, and I'm just. Yes, I know what to pay. It's just so great that they, these choice of these shots, and you know, I don't usually close ups are generally kind of boring to me. It's just kind of just yeah, that's we have to have them in the film. But the way they're used in this film, I think, is just brilliant, just to kind of convey the urgency of what's happening in that scene. Well, and even that opening scene as it's going through Doc's workshop house, whatever it is, you get so much about the characters, especially Doc, in that what like two minute scene is it just pans around and you there's so many little tidbits and things and so much character and world building in such a small little sequence and i feel like every time i watched the movie i would pick up something new in that just mess of props that they had there yeah there's a lot of stuff going on so let's uh, let's go ahead and move down to sound. So we're talking about sound effects, soundtrack, obviously the music, voiceover stuff. So Ian, we're going to start with you. Oh, putting me on the spot again. Um, <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, I was reflecting as I was listening. Oh, it was it, it was the opening clock scene actually. As I was watching that, I was thinking this just sounds so good. It, I mean, um, so there's that aspect of it. This movie has at least three of the best like 
needle drop moments for for songs, you know, um, of any movie, right? The the first Power of Love uh, uh, hit, the second Power of Love hit, right after uh, Jennifer kisses him and and then you know uh, goes away, and then the uh, Mr. Sandman uh, mm-hmm. needle drop also, right? Like that, um, yeah. So so, I mean the. I was thinking about how, I mean, you've just seen Marty McFly blow out a gigantic speaker, right? But like they are introducing him. It's funny because, because his life is miserable and yet they are introducing him as the coolest character ever, right? <laughs> uh, the power of love hits and all of a sudden he's, you know, on the skateboard, holding on to the cars. It appears like Michael Jack, Michael J. Fox is do- Michael Jackson. Michael J. Fox is doing a lot of his own stunts there. Uh, at least some of it, you know, um, and so anyway, uh, yeah, the, like that. And then the, the soundtrack itself, like the, the Alan Silvestri, um, score, very John Williams esque. uh, I thought, you know, um, it hits, it just hits, I mean, no pun intended, hits all the right notes in the scenes that it needs to, um, the adventure themes, um, that feels almost like Indiana Jones ish, um, and, yeah, I can't. I can't say enough good things about the sound in this movie. Justin, um, kind of taking a, a different uh, approach here. Not talking so much about the music, but just the actual sound effects themselves. I don't think they're the top ten most iconic sounds would be like the DeLorean sounds, just all of them. Doors <laughs> opening, uh, revving up when he actually hits 88 miles per hour and that, that sound, I don't even know what that sound is out of context. It's actually probably a pretty terrible sounding noise, but within the movie, like it, it just makes you feel good. Um, no, just, just generally. And again, maybe I have like a different feeling on this than you guys, because, uh, it, it has been around my whole life. I didn't see it at, at quite the same uh, time period you guys did, but, um, all the sounds have just made their way into like the cultural lexicon. And I think most people having seen or not seen the movie would probably recognize uh, most of that. Uh, and, and even a lot of the songs, like a lot of the songs I don't think I've heard outside of the f- film. That's going to date me again, but yeah, um, like my, my mind is associated those songs with the film. Yeah, I love that you brought up the DeLorean thing too, because I remember uh, at one point I had a coworker that had a DeLorean, and I got to drive it once or twice, and was sorely disappointed because they made it sound so cool. Like the going doors don't sound like that when they open. No, and it it looks kind of like it's going to be a sports car, but it's like a Honda. Mm-hmm. Like it, <laughs> it is not powerful. It's in the you know little tiny pedals, and like it looks so cool, but yeah. So just I always. I listen to it. I'm like, yeah, that's that's not right, but it's cool. I like that they did that. Corey, what about you? Well, I agree. Like, I the the DeLorean is one of my favorite cars of all time because of this movie. I mean, who didn't love a DeLorean at that time? And the sounds. I think the soundtrack is amazing. It is one of the most iconic music. I mean, the theme song for Back to the Future, theme song to Indiana Jones, theme song to Darth Vader. All I mean, those are just iconic legendary songs you hear it you know exactly what it's from and so i think that stands out i think uh 
Huey Lewis and his cameo in here are absolutely brilliant. I've watched uh, behind the scenes on that, you know, on a couple of the DVD features where how they filmed that. And that was always fascinating that Huey Lewis is, I'm sorry, Phyllis, you're just too damn loud. It's just incredible (laughs) that Huey Lewis is saying that. And then, uh, you know, and then you get such great music through this, you know, the, the Sandman song. Then you go and you get Johnny B. Good, which is not just the most epic song now because of that. So I think they, they absolutely make a movie where all of the soundtracks are there, but then they also bring in some effects like the DeLorean sound that Justin's talking about. That is a, just that sound of it revving up as he's accelerating, which the car does not really make, but it's an iconic sound. The gold wing doors opening up. And then my ringtone on my phone when you text me is the little chime that happens throughout the series. <laughs> because anytime, anytime that chime comes up, it's where time travel has somehow changed things. It's the, you know, the, something's different, something's changed. And so when I get a text message, my phone does that, and I'm always like, oh, something's different, something's changed. It's been like that for years because it's such an iconic sound, and I love it. I love that chime. So, okay, Again, you guys aren't leaving me much, but that's great. That's, I love it. Um, yeah, Sylvester's score is is so great. It's such a big, epic score for what kind of a, could be a small movie otherwise, but it really elevates it. I love what you guys said about that. The, yeah, the, the diegetic music in, in this movie um, – is, is really great too. And just going through this, um, doing some research this time, I was shocked. I'm like, Eric Clapton's on this. I had no idea that that was Eric Clapton when he comes back to 1985 and crashes into the church and uh, the homeless guy sitting on the bench, his radio's playing. That song is um, Heaven is One Step Away by Eric Clapton. I'm like, I love Eric Clapton. How did I, I've always liked that song, but I didn't know that was him, uh, which is great. Um, you know, they also have like the Eddie Van Halen song, which says Van, Halen, like, I think it just says Eddie Van Halen because Van Halen didn't want to actually do a song, which is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, great things. Like, I mean, you guys mentioned, um, uh, Mr. Sandman, which is kind of like, can Marty hear that? Or is that just for us? Which is kind of an interesting thing, but it sets the scene. Like it does so much. It tells us what's happening with the music. We don't have that shows us like we hear it. We don't have to go. Hey, it's 19. Like it sounds like it's 1950s. You know, he walks into Lou's cafe and you hear the ballad of Davy Crockett. You're like you're immediately teleported that, you know, you also hear that Edda James song when, when, uh, when George comes in, you know, night train, when it starts the enchanted, uh, the, the dance under the sea dance, just, just fantastic. Like he's mentioned uh, in these needle drops where you're just like, you're instantly transported to these times. Uh, just yeah. masterclass. And, the, and that Mr. Sandman one, that's really when you get that first beautiful view of 1955. I mean, there's the the farm scene at night, you know, the night before. And and then there's a little bit of Marty pushing around the car, you know, that kind of stuff. But then, like, it's it's when you get Mr. Sandman and all of a sudden you have the beautiful town where you get the, like, what Justin was talking about with sort of the, the just the sheen that, that 1955 has on it in this movie, which reminds me a little bit... Uh, as, as Justin was talking about it, it reminded me a little bit, I realize I'm stepping back in the conversation here, but about um, like Pleasantville, uh, my vague memories of the movie Pleasantville, you know, like when things suddenly go into color and uh, which then takes me back to even like uh, the Wizard of Oz, like when when that goes from black and white to color, like it's all of a sudden this this like, oh, my goodness, we're we are really in this this whole new world now. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, feel free. Just if, if something jumps right into now. your mind, jump in. 
Go that, ahead, Justin. That's the best part about this when we have these conversations is that point right there, how you go and take Back to the Future and you connect some feelings that you get from Wizard of Oz, which precedes it, and Pleasantville, which came after it, to where you see this this director's emotional take that they're weaving in that you don't even realize as a viewer. You're just watching a show, but they're able to evoke some emotions similar to Wizard of Oz, similar to Back to the Future, similar to Pleasantville with this same tactic and kind of weave it in. So it shows the importance of the directors and the choices and the colors and things that we talk about on this show shows the importance of those things. Justin, you were going to say something. Oh, it's not super relevant. I'm just, I'm super sad that, the uh, DeLorean doors don't actually make that noise, Craig. Why did you? <laughs> that? Sorry, it's crushing. Like a, I'm sure I mean, if that's I thought thing. about they, they it, make, I would have realized it. They make the DeLorean sound like a spaceship, right? Yeah. I yep. mean, that's it. yeah. Well, so I, I read that uh, I think it was Ford when they're making their new uh, electric Mustangs. They've actually put in speakers that will make like yep. the revving up noise of an actual engine. And I just think we need that for a DeLorean. Like we need a speaker to make those noises every time the door opens. You know what? You were onto something there because I would take my beat up minivan outside and I would turn it into a DeLorean sounding car if I could do that. Ooh, that would be. Yeah. I mean, project. I know that that's a thing that electric man- car manufacturers have to do. They have to have some sort of sound because it's re- um, so that pedestrians are aware of the car being nearby, right? Sure. And I bet as time goes on, I bet we'll get cooler and crazier sounding because <laughs> it's like why as not? long as the the limit why would you not have a car that sounds like the millennium falcon oh yeah. my That's gosh exactly. we engine noises we could just X-wing. have spaceship noises <laughs> oh, i want the tardis from doctor who i am love on it. this <laughs> love it uh anything else on sound are we good to move to performance cool all right, let's talk about performance. So we, we usually start with, with lines of dialogue because that's just fun. So you told me you had a story earlier. I don't know if you want to jump in now and tell me or or just sure. talk about. Yeah. Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you a story now. I asked, I, I texted Craig before the show just to ask if it was okay. So, so, so one of the iconic lines from this movie, right, is when this baby hits 88 miles an hour, you're going to see some serious shit, right? And so when I wrote my adaptation of this, um, I, I don't remember exactly how it said, how I, I did it. And my books had never had a curse word in them before, you know? Uh, but I, I said something like, you know, thou shalt see shit most serious, something like that. (laughs) And so, because I was like, you can't, you can't mess around with that. Like you got to keep that. Uh, and so, and especially in a Shakespearean context, it just makes it funnier, right? To have that word suddenly showing up there. And so we got into the like proofs of the of the book. It had been approved by by my publisher. It had been approved by uh, Universal. And and we got to the proofs and I looked and all of a sudden I saw that the proof said, thou shalt see stuff most serious. <laughs> and, oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So imagine my my uh you know 80s uh ire being erased there um so i wrote to my publisher and was in this really awkward position which i'm sure made my parents so proud of like advocating to have the word you know in in the book oh, uh, gosh. And, i uh, have it hits like, different we, yeah it is it's different right uh so anyway that wait the, so what does the, the book say is it so the book, the book says shit Okay. Uh, so I prevailed in that argument. Nice. I, I made it. my you book have a bad word. Woo! 
Not all heroes wear capes. Well done. <laughs> you know, I got to say, I just wrote that line down because I was like, that is an amazing line. Me I think too. I may say it from that way from now on. I'm going to promote the book and I'm going to say that is the best way to say that line. There you go. Well, in his so, delivery anyway, of that line too, because he's always so like dramatic and outrageous in the way he talks. But right there, he's so serious. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Well, there's a cockiness in Doc that you see in that one moment that you yep. don't yeah. see anywhere else. Just well, you like, see, it, I would say eyes. you see it one other time, which is Rhodes, where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. Yes. Right? It's that yes. same tone of like, watch this. That's true. Yeah. That's why those are great lines. Corey, uh, you want to go next? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I'm going to take this a little different because with the dialogue, I think I'm going to highlight two people that I think Crispin Glover, who plays George, and Tom Wilson, who plays Biff, are the two characters that have to play entirely different characters. The same character, but they have to play very different mannerisms than everybody else. I mean, Marty gets to be Marty the whole time. Doc gets to be Doc the whole time. He's a younger and older version, but it's not its not someone different. But Crispin Glover, the level of being George McFly in high school to George McFly as an adult whose life has turned out not as well, you know, and as Marty's embarrassment to well, he the very end read. to be the confident, I'm the author of, you know, a match made in space. So it's, it's absolutely a brilliant level of dialogue for them to pull off those voice inflections, to pull off what they do and say and sound and make you believable and not come across cheesy, not come across where you're like, Oh gosh, dang, you know, this guy's hard to watch. And, uh, and even Biff to go and play nerdy Biff at the end, who is now the kind of humble Biff, you know, is is quite different than walking in, grabbing a beer out of their fridge, and you know, George, I need you to do my my work for me because I work in the office with you, kind of thing, and still still riding his coattails. So, it, I think when you look at that, those levels of dialogue are very very much a large scale of acting that that deserves to be noted beyond the two characters that we love and our fan favorites, Marty and Doc. Nice. Justin, do you have a favorite line you wanted to point out? Uh, fa- or, favorite or one line? of them? Oh, uh, yes. I had, I had to, I just Googled it cause I had to get the exact wording, but um, there, there are so many little tiny lines that connect to other points of the movie, like little, I don't know, like callbacks, Easter eggs. I don't know what you would call them. But I, you wouldn't pick them up maybe on the first time viewing, or at least I wouldn't. Um, but the amount of times where Marty says heavy, and every time he says heavy, the doc, doc's like, <laughs> what? Uh, but just that line, heavy, why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Like, <laughs> I love that line so, so much. Because um, it's never really addressed. He's just like, what, what's going on with that? No. Um, so, so anytime that's mentioned, as well as anytime um, somebody mentions Marty's uh, jacket and like mentions <laughs> how he he's he's uh, in port from the navy or something, like that. <laughs> they, they never really fully address it. He just kind of goes with it at one point. He just he just accepts it. Um, yeah, I just I love that so much. Just any interaction between like uh, Marty and the Doc, they're so their chemistry is so good. And I don't know how, I don't know how many takes they had to do, but I'm sure they had to be laughing off of each other almost that entire time. Um, and then just, just generally uh, George McFly, Chris, Crispin Glover, 
um, he's a creepy dude. Like he makes you feel uncomfortable. Like especially uh, in the fifties, I just <laughs> I like whenever he's on screen, I'm like, please stop, just get off screen, please. And he does a great job at at being creepy and kind of pervy at the same time. Um, but yeah, kind of like what Corey mentioned, like he plays three pretty distinct characters. Oh, and then that laugh uh, at the beginning of the movie when he's laughing at the TV. That is yeah. just disgustingly <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> there it was. I love there that. Was, yes, thank you. Yeah, you, you were welcome, Justin. I'll make that nice. your ringtone. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a couple. I'm just going to give one and then give you guys another chance to round through. Um, yeah, Like I said, I saw this movie as a kid. This, this line did not stick with me until much much later I, I might have even been a teacher at the time i'm not sure but it's uh it's when marty's grandpa when marty gets up from the table and uh he says marty's grandpa says he's an idiot comes from upbringing his parents are probably idiots too <laughs> the great line is such a great line and so true so <laughs> true so many times so many times in life i've said that so I just, <laughs> it just hits differently now He's an idiot. Oh, love it. <laughs> so, uh, and, you and know, did, Craig, did, I've, I've known you for a number of years, and that just yeah. <laughs> that is such a perfect encapsulation of what I know about you and yeah. how you feel. <laughs> it's not like you were born an idiot; you were just raised to be one. Hey, yeah, it comes yeah. from upbringing. Yeah. Now it makes me wonder how many people are saying that about my kids. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, I think we we might all be in danger of that. Yeah. Uh, anybody else have any other lines they want to just drop in, just rapid fire? I, I mean, as long well, as long as we're talking about performances, I mean, yeah. I, I will, I will stand up for Crispin Glover being the highlight acting wise of this movie. Um, there are just so many subtle things, and I, and I mean, my understanding is that he's kind of a weird guy uh, in real life, but uh, but his performance in this is just astounding. And there's a moment that I only picked up on when I, when I was working on my book where um, it's when Biff fir- first walks into the diner in the fifties and uh, he's, he's sort of his focus is on George at first, you know, but then uh, Marty sort of gets up in his face a little bit and, and Biff makes a joke at Marty's expense and you see George like try to laugh along like, yeah, mm-hmm. see, look, I'm one of the guys too. Right. Isn't this other guy terribly like just trying so hard to, to avoid the situation, you know, the bad situation with Biff. Uh, and it's just, it's just brilliant. Cause I feel like that's something another actor might've missed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the opportunity to, to do that. Um, I will also say that I remember hearing once uh, uh, with regard to Seinfeld, that Seinfeld was sort of like a, a, the Seinfeld was funny because Jerry Seinfeld for as like crazy and whatever fun as he is, is almost like the straight man in Seinfeld. Right. Mm-hmm, right. And, and that's true of Marty McFly in, in back to the future, right? Like as, as kind of fun and wild as Mar- as Michael J. Fox can be. And he is at times in this movie. Right. But like, there is so much going on around him with, with Biff and Lorraine and George and doc, uh, you know, all of them that, that he really sort of becomes that, straight man in a lot of scenes. Um, yeah. That's a great point. Cause I don't think Marty is funny because he necessarily says funny things or it's just his mannerisms 
and the way he walks and things happen in his emotions, he carries them well. And it's kind of a chaotic, unintentional funny. Like there's chaos around me and things going on around me. And it's funny. We're enjoying it. And it's, but it's him reacting. I don't know. It's not, he doesn't say punchlines. He doesn't throw things out that do that, but he does it so well. That's well, and he is very much acting for the audience as well. It's almost as if the other actors, like, like he is, he is there to show us how to feel, not necessarily, uh, it's almost like he's not playing off the other actors because if the other actors, if the other people in character were watching him react to things, they'd be like, what's wrong with your face? Why are you constantly looking so shocked? Right. Um, but they just kind of, kind of play it off cool because he is in a constant state of surprise. Yeah. Uh, I got one I'm going to throw out there, and this is one that my wife and I have said back and forth to each other for years, is that you're my density. When George <laughs> says that in the diner scene, <laughs> is my wife and I, you know, you, know, you always have a little sweet party when you, you know, you leave and go to work or something, or, you know, you sit there and, and you're just, I was just always like, I love that line because he's like, you're my density. I mean, destiny. <laughs> and so it's. It's just been a line that we have thrown back and forth at each other all the time is just to, to mess that line up and say, you're my density, which is, so it's a, because overall the whole movie's not too quotable as far as, you know, iconic quotes that you can always throw out in any scene. Um, there's several quotes, but that's one that I just, for whatever reason, is one that sticks out to me that we use all the time. There's another one that, uh, that I wrote down, today uh again it's it's marty's grandpa uh lorraine's dad uh after he hits uh marty mcfly with the car he says another one of these damn kids jumped in front of my car right it's a throwaway line like you don't think that, like it suggests so many layers of story like how many kids does he hit with his car right and like it's not addressed at all but it's so good it's just oh, like there, there's just He's so great. like kind of kind of back to the heavy line. There's a lot of throwaway lines where it's like, no, 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 no. let's let's pull on that thread a little bit more. I want to know more about that, or or just uh, right. with the radiation suit when Doc is says like, ah, of course, radiation suit because of the atomic wars, right? And he never like <laughs> follows up on that question. That seems like it would be important. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I caught yeah. something. Speaking of radiation suits, um, I was going to mention this later, but now is a perfect time. Um, I had the subtitles on because I like to just maybe maybe I can catch one more thing. You know, and it's like the hundredth time I watched it. When when Marty first sees Doc in the radiation suit, he says, "Is that a Devo suit?" Yeah, which is great because that's um, Justin's like looking. I'm, I don't no, know. No, that is. I know. I know. Exactly okay, Devo, the band from the '80s, right? The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Google Devo with the flower pots in their heads. I had to look up the reference when I again. That's another one. When when I'm do when I do my books, I I figure out what every line of dialogue is, right? Uh, yep. Because I have to address it. And yeah, I had no idea what Devo was, uh, honestly. So, <laughs> Whip it good. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It, okay, I know. When a problem yeah, comes I've along, seen, you must I've whip seen it. The music video. Yeah. yeah exactly. Well, I, now, now I have that. So, like, I love the part where he's wearing that suit with. Crispin Glover and he says, I am Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And he throws that in there, which is just a great way to, you know, I, Ian, could we ask how you, how'd that line get in there? What, what'd you do with that line where I am Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan? Is that, uh, uh yeah, you can ask. And if you give me two seconds, oh, I'll okay. be able to tell you. Um, I don't have it memorized, but oh, I okay. do have it on my computer. So, oh. uh, Oh, so, so the way I did it, um, I didn't want, I didn't have the actual scene. So instead I have George recounting what happened to Marty 
right? Yeah. Rather than have the scene. So uh, he says, uh, at last it spoke, be silent, earthling weak. Darth Vader am I called of strength and power, an extraterrestrial from Vulcan come. It made a sign then with its claw-like hand, which hypnotized me by some sorcery and bent my mind that I might do its will. And then I put in, a, and then I put in Star Wars and Star Trek references, right? The strange and unrelenting force it used surrounded me and shall be with me always. I'll not live long and prosper if I should ignore the message it hath brought to me. Nice. That is absolutely incredible and genius level. I mean, Easter that is egg. amazing. That is. Thanks. I mean, it's, you know, so good for Bob Gale to take these those two things and, and you know, combine them in this, like, fun, just sort of overall alien appearance. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, my last one. Uh, is actually kind of serious, but I thought it was really interesting this time. It's it's the line uh, I mentioned it earlier. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. But I thought what was interesting with this one was the progression because the first time you hear it, it's Marty saying it kind of sarcastically because his girlfriend Jennifer is like, "Remember what your dad always or what Doc always says? It came from Doc, right?" And he kind of says, "Yeah, you know." And then he says it sincerely to to George. He looks around the eye, puts his hand on his shoulder, and then it's repeated from George back to Marty at the end. So this it's kind of been redeemed this way because Marty's on this, you know, he's on this journey. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end as well, where he's kind of, and he doesn't believe in himself and he doesn't believe that, that, and that maxim is true. But by the time we get to the end, it's not only has it, he believe it, he's imparted that to his dad who in turn is now imparting that to his kids. I love that. Uh, one last thing, sorry. Uh, no. with this, because we're talking about characters here and, and, uh, or, you know, the dialogue and things. Do you think that, I mean, uh, Eric Stoltz was the original character who was supposed to play Marty, and mm-hmm. they had filmed, you know, a third to half of that before they sat down and switched him with with uh, uh, Michael J. Fox. Do you think, th- I think those lines and things, because I've seen little clips here and there, you know, through, through different videos, it does hit different. It's very different delivery. It really shows the importance of that, and I think uh, just how, that Michael J. Fox isn't just the line that he delivers. There's some physical acting that he's doing in there and his character and mannerisms that, that Stoltz didn't have that Stoltz is a great actor too. I've seen him in a few things, but um, it just shows the importance of that. So that you know, that you get more than it's not just a line or reading a line or saying a script that there's a lot to it. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I had that under, under body language too. his physicality, especially in the scenes with, with young Lorraine, where he's just squirmy as all get just like in the car and he just like, he's shrinking down and you know, he has to do that because like, it's disgusting, right? This whole, this whole theme is pretty gross. So, but it, it's played for laughs because of his performance. You know, he sells it so well, the look of shock on his face and, and on her face too, which she does it too without the eyes get wide. And um, a lot of things just being communicated without, without dialogue there. Yeah. And it's also, it's doubly good because not only is he uncomfortable because of what's going, like, because of the situation he's in and having to act this way, but also at the same time, he's like learning things about his mom and how, and how she yeah. behaved, right? Like, too? <laughs> so good. Don't be a square. Especially because yeah. at the beginning of that line, were you born a nun? And then yeah. <laughs> she, she's yeah. terrible. I think she was born a nun. Yeah. So good. Um, anything else? Costumes, hair, makeup that we haven't touched on? The only thing I noticed new this time was Strickland actually it has some hair in the fifties. I, I it's always been there, but does I he? just never noticed. Yeah, he does on the sides. Oh. I think that I, I, 
Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. Oh, I think that, that uh, one of the reasons this movie continues to hold up so well is that the 80s scenes, especially I'm thinking about like like Jennifer, her hairstyle and stuff like that, like it feels like the 80s, right? But the 50s feels timeless because, of course, it's, you know, I mean, the 50s was the 50s for the 80s in the same way the 50s is the 50s for us. So, uh, which is a weird sentence I just said. <laughs> um, but, but I think that's why, like, this movie does never visually does not feel dated to me. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with just how classic the fifties looks and that the eighties are, I mean, you notice it in places, but it's not, it's not overdone. It doesn't feel like, you know, uh, like fatal attraction or working girl or like one of these movies where like the eighties of it is screaming at you. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel stylized when it came out. Like it just, this is like, I could walk down the street and I'm from Northern California, which is, I mean, this is like supposedly some part of California, you know, a lot of it's filmed in, in Southern California, but it looks familiar to me as I walk outside. It doesn't look like, Oh, where's this weird place we're at. So yeah, yeah the, the modern time of 1985 kind of fits with 2023. Like you really could have that. That does not have to be 1985. It could be any time except for his coast guard life vest that he wears in 1985. <laughs> we don't wear those anymore, but no people, People wear those. Like, are they coming back? Oh, no! Okay. I just saw someone this weekend wearing one, and I was like, "Hey, <laughs> <laughs> would you jump ship, sailor?" <laughs> um, I, I wonder. I feel like I feel like we should have gotten somebody's grandpa on this episode to comment on the authenticity of the fifties. I wonder how how good of a job they did because you you can all like relate. Craig, you were saying you could relate to. Uh, how that looked, but I wonder if there's yeah. anyone on set being like, you know, in the fifties, it didn't look like that. Is it movies fifties, which is, it's a, that's a good transition into, to setting and design too. I mean, it's filmed on a backlog. It's filmed in universal studios. You can take the tour and go through Hill Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there is something very synthetic about it and something kind of sanitized. It's an idealized 1950s for sure. But they, and they make such good use of that set. Oh yeah. It looks huge. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I remember going on certain tours and go through, hey, there's the clock tower, which is fun. But yeah, a lot of it filmed and mentioned earlier. I'm not going to go through the list, but um, Gar um, Van Orden, who's a, I'm Facebook friends with, and he listens to the show occasionally, went, took his kids on a tour. He posted Facebook pictures of like Twin Pine Mall and all of these different places. You can go see a lot of these places, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but let's move, move down to set decoration. Anything in set decoration or props that really stood out to you guys? I got one I'm going to throw out there because I think we always talk recently, last few episodes, about the payoffs, like something that's introduced early on that is a payoff later. And I think if I'm going to talk about payoffs and Back to the Future, it's going to be, you know how they always, everything, the time periods always go back to 1955, Back to Future 1, 2, and 3. There's always a 1955 in there. And they make a comment about, it's amazing that Biff would have chose that date in Back to the Future 2. And he said, maybe it's a nexus of some universal constant or something, you know, 1955. And the payoff for me is to think, well, what are other things that come up in always in all three movies? And the diner scene is something that comes up in all mm-hmm. three. That diner scene in one, diner scene in two, and it's the saloon in three is the same diner. And then the clock tower, the importance of the clock tower through each one. And so the set is the same Hill Valley, that same square – you know, the skateboard scene, 
the hoverboard scene and then getting dragged by Biff's horse scene. Like it's, and it's the same characters in all these things. That's the payoff. You know, it's the same characters, same families, just a different timeline with the same story of, you know, who's in charge, you know, all these different conflicts they have. And so I think you look at the set decorations of all that, and it's just amazing payoff through a trilogy that, that is kind of hard to write around, but they do it so well in this. Like, it's interesting to see how that has changed through the time periods and you can stop and pause and look at it and be like, okay, they changed this clock tower looks a little different. That building looks different. That's always fun to watch. Yeah. The McFly house too. Like that, the, the decoration inside there is kind of kitschy and cheesy and cheap in the original version. Then they get back and he gets back the second time and everything's shiny and supposedly expensive. Yeah, I was going to say that shot was lost on me as a kid, right? When it like shows their their like living room and he's noticing that it looks all nice, that was totally lost on me as a kid. I was I didn't didn't get that shot. I have a big question about that shot though. And, and this there's no really good category for it, so I'm just going to put it here. So, do his older brother and sister, do they still live at home and yet they're somehow successful? And Let's, it's like 10:30 in the it's like almost 11 o'clock and he's like I always wear a suit to the office and I think it's a Saturday. I I don't yeah, know. It's, I'm, it's I'm the, really it's confused. It's the weekend and he's going to work like We're going to assume he's the CEO so he can go in whenever he wants to. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. he lives somewhere he lives in his mansion somewhere else. He's just stopping by for for breakfast with his yeah. parents. Yeah, that, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm good with that. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> um fun prop uh uh thing that I'm fairly certain. So I've seen everything everywhere all at once a couple of times now, and I'm pretty sure, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that or not. I'm pretty sure that it, uh, at one point, no, none of the three of you have seen it. It's, it's on my list, but I haven't seen We're it. We're going to stop the recording of the podcast right now. I'll see you guys <laughs> back here in like two and a half hours. Uh, do yourselves a favor. Well, when you see it, um, there is a scene where um, the grandfather character in everything everywhere all at once he has sort of all these contraptions on his wheelchair and I'm pretty darn sure there's a Mr. Fusion on the back of his wheelchair. It's just a nice. tiny little, tiny little Easter egg, um, but would be totally keeping with that, the movie and, uh, and what it does. So it is. I just Googled that. That's awesome. I, I absolutely like love, that. and I, and I feel this way. Um, when I watch any movie from this time period, um, and, and I remember when I watched the prequel movies, sorry, the Star Wars prequels, I was sad. <laughs> got to be specific now. I got to be specific here. Uh, I, was, I was sad that it had lost us a little bit, but I feel like movies from the 80s, uh, like the props and the set decorations, everything feels very used and lived in and uh, dingy and dirty. And it feels more real. Like uh, back to the scene uh, at the very beginning as it's going through doc's uh, workshop like there is so much stuff in there so much stuff that looks like it's been used and i don't know if guys like on the set they're just like hey guys go grab your toolbox we're gonna set it down like i don't know how they acquired all that stuff or like how much of a setup process that was but it's just it, i really like seeing all that stuff and it doesn't look like a prop it looks like somebody actually used that toolbox or box of plutonium hopefully not <laughs> Or just just in the DeLorean itself, like there's there's so many like knobs and buttons and flashy lights. And flux I, capacitor, I just yeah. It, oh, okay, great. I got a story about the flux capacitor. So, uh, I worked at Radio Shack once upon a time in my early twenties, um, 
And I don't know if it was like a local joke or if this was a thing people like to do to bully Radio Shack employees. But people love – this happened at least once a week. People love to walk in and be like, excuse me, sir. Do you have any flux capacitors? And they wanted the response of like the employee looking for a flux capacitor, not knowing what it was. But every single time I'm just like, no, like get out. I know I know what that is. This isn't fun. And it, and it was in a mall, so it was usually just people like passing by, and then they'd leave, and they'd like laugh on their way out. I'm like, oh, you guys are so funny. I haven't heard that seven times. Stop it. <laughs> ah, so now I just hate that word, flux. <laughs> Sorry. But but no, like the, 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 the future I was promised was that there would be flashing lights and little buttons to press on all sorts of technology. And now we've just gotten to smartphones where everything's a touchscreen, and it's so much less fun. Star Trek about that. Sorry, man. Yeah, I want buttons. So I have a question because for for not you, Justin, because you're too young. Um, but for the <laughs> for the other three, did you have a skateboard after this movie, or that did was, you ride or borrow a skateboard after this movie? Did you have to have about one? This. How many kids out there yep. broke arms because of this movie? I after, needed a skateboard and, and got one. I did wanted one too. I'm going to insert yeah. myself into this anyway, Craig. I did have a skateboard after this movie. Okay, good. Okay, good. Be a decade <laughs> after, but. <laughs> I tried it. I fell. I never rode a skateboard. So <laughs> I didn't ride it very I'm, much. I'm helpless on anything that requires my balance. So yeah, I, I didn't. My brother had a skateboard. I never did. I oh. always thought it was so cool though. I mean, this movie and even today, I mean, the scene talk about, per, I mean, we've been calling it a perfect movie, but talk about perfect scenes, right? The, this scene with the car and the skateboard uh, outside the diner in 1955, right? is just such a perfect action sequence. Um, and that moment when, you know, they're pushing Marty toward the manure truck and he slips out, you know, and the skateboard goes under, like, yep. come on, come on, right? When I was a kid, I was just blown away. Yeah. I was going right, to mention this earlier. Have, I have, <clears throat> there's a thing too, what they do that Sylvester does with the score at that point too, with the main themes playing, but I think it's playing like a minor key or something. Hmm. This is like he's in danger, and then it once he gets out, and it kicks back up into the regular version. But just brilliant. So I didn't understand that minor key. I don't. I don't understand what it's. I mean, I'm there. not. A, I'm not a big I'm music guy. I, I, Someone out there was like, "Ooh, wow!" Soundtrack show is key. back now, though. So yeah. we, you guys can learn. Check that out. That's a great show. Um, um, speaking of props, one last go thing. for it. So Tom yeah. Wilson is. Uh, he has a video on YouTube of him singing a guitar song. He's quite a good singer too, by the way. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and he sings a song about Back to the Future because that's all he's known for, and that's what people come up to him and. And so he sings a song about questions that he gets asked all the time about Back to the Future. And one of the things he says that people always ask him, was that real manure? And he said, no, it wasn't. But it, <laughs> And I got to admit the texture of what it looked like. I grew up yeah. on a farm. It looked like real manure. So uh, they do a great job on the prop there. Yeah. So Ian, you mentioned that scene was a perfect scene. Is, is that one or the one from Back to the Future more perfect? Or Back to the Future 2, sorry. Um, I mean, I am not as big of a fan of Back to the Future 2 and 3 as I am of the original. Oh. So I'm always going to choose the original. Um, I know. There's there's my maybe unpopular mm-hmm. hot take. But history repeats itself. And so it's like if you poetry, think about it rhymes. It, it rhymes to have him do that again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Corey, as a history teacher, that phrase offends me. I'm sorry, but it's yeah. true. It's mm-hmm. true. 
All right. I want to bring up a couple of product placement things before we get out of this section. Um, the JVC camcorder, but I really want to mention it because I had to look this up. Like, could you actually hook that up to a TV in the 50s? And apparently you could, uh, as long as you have antenna screws. So that's kind of cool. Doc would have had that, certainly. He would have figured that out. He's an adventure. Um, and then I've always thought, as many times as I've seen, except for this last time, that it was a Walkman that Marty was using and put the headphones on George. It's not. It's an AWA cassette player. Because they make a really point, they make a point of showing you the label. And like, that's some pretty great product placement right there for them. Nice job. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's super important props in this film. Like, we don't always have important props, but like, or ones that are easily um, pulled out. But obviously, the picture of Marty and his siblings is huge. And and as well as the flyer. So they have those two things that are like crucial to, to the plot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, the, it doesn't happen without those. I was reflecting today at what a what a good device the photo is, right? Um, to, to show sort of the danger that Marty's in and the, the yeah. 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 Showing yeah. instead of telling is just great. Yeah. You know, if there was one thing about this movie that frustrated me, it was actually the amount of product placement. It's especially at the beginning, it's very distracting. There's so much of it. Yeah. Uh, we don't even have any more Pepsi free. They always talk about Pepsi free in there. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of and Pepsi free. Is tab still around? Give you me a tab. Pepsi, you're you want a tab, you're going to pay for it. What'd you say to each other? <laughs> you haven't ordered anything yet. Yeah. All right. Um, characters. Are there any characters we have not talked about? I don't know if we, we've missed anybody or not. I think we're pretty good. I mean, you're, you're, that question, uh, the first character who popped in my head was Goldie Wilson, which we, we don't see a lot of him. Yeah. But I was thinking, again, if, if I had to find a, a quibble or two with this movie, right, um, it's treatment of time travel and this is i mean avengers <laughs> like mock this anyway right it's, yeah. it's treatment of time travel is inconsistent let's let's put it that way right um in some senses it or in some ways it feels like what marty does changes things and in other ways it feels like marty has already been there right like 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 the original uh, 1985 has already benefited from marty being there Right, because he's the one that gives him the idea to vote to run for mayor. Yeah, right. yeah, and gives Lorraine the idea to name her son Marty. And I, I mean, you know, all of these things, of course, could have happened other ways, right? But uh, even thinking about like, like you know, the sort of what has become a, a somewhat controversial scene of of uh, you know uh, Chuck Berry getting the idea for rock and roll music, you know, for because of Marty's performance, right? Right. Um, so like. It, it, like even that sort of is is inconsistent with the idea of some of the things he does is are changing history. It's always so tricky though. Like you you can't do a time travel movie without opening up yourself up to plot holes. Like I yeah. I can't think of a time travel movie that isn't riddled with plot holes, right? So I think they all are, but I I have to say as a big fan of movies and love sci-fi movies and I mean I've watched Star Trek when they go in time travel and and Sound of Thunder, a B movie that I absolutely love with time travel, Doctor Who, all of these. It was not until the Avengers came out that I really stopped and said, wait a minute, they just discounted all this time travel. <laughs> and I thought, I had so many discussions, I think with Craig and with, Justin, with everybody, I was like, wait a minute, that's not how time travel works. No. Like we all, I think all of America and the world is looking at the way 
Back to the Future treated time travel is how time travel works. You change yep. something there, it's going to change in the future. And so I think it's brilliant because it created some conversations from the Avengers. So I was like, wait a minute. I cannot understand and grasp what the Hulk just said. I need to redo that. And <laughs> well, and Avengers so, has some funny logic with that too. Like yeah. the directors and the writers argue about where Steve went and how yeah. he shows up at the end. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's always, there's just, always it something. It doesn't work no matter, no matter yeah, what. It, it, yeah, it doesn't does work. It. Well, they didn't just disagree. Whatever. Um, I had one thing that I thought was interesting because I've always wondered how old Doc Brown is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> and so Christopher I, Lloyd is about 47 when they're filming. And so... I guess he's supposed to be late seventies in the eighties, I guess. Cause he looks exactly the same in the fifties, which is funny. And then of course they played it as off as a joke in the second one where he, you know, got the face peel and stuff. And he was on an episode slightly different. of taxi a few years before this. And he was, he was on taxi. About, he was a regular on taxi. He, yeah. And he was a cab driver and he was talking about seeing the future and time travel in that. Oh, nice. And he had brown hair, dark hair. Anyway, it was just very different. And then I was thinking, wait, just four years later, he's doing Doc Brown. It's it's a very different Co- feel. But Corey, I think this well. is the perfect time for you to have some sort of theory. <laughs> this is usually where something comes about, some conspiracy within the <laughs> a movie. A fan theory that Corey makes up on the fan spot. Theory, yeah. I here's my fan theory. You got it. Are go. you ready for this? <laughs> I have a fan theory. Uh, the guy who was supposed to originally play Marty. Eric Stoltz was in Back to the Future, but because Marty went back in time and changed things, we have a new version mm-hmm. because George was unsuccessful. Now George is successful. Yeah. And the fan theory is that there's two Marty McFlies. And ah, the, Corey, I love Marty that. changed it. There you go. I will say this. So we, we've been wow. rewatching the show Fringe in my house because my kids have never seen it. And- Jody and I hadn't seen it since it first aired. And uh, there's there's parallel universes in that. And in the parallel universe, there is Back to the Future starring Eric Stoltz. We watched that just the other day. And I was like, what great See? timing. And I had got to explain, hey, there's the thing. It's so in, in a parallel universe, Corey, That's that right. movie got made. So, someday okay. we're just going to have like a spinoff podcast where we just talk about <laughs> fan theories. I love it. <laughs> you just I'm do there. that in the Facebook group and leave it there. All right. Hero's Journey. Let's talk about Hero's Journey. Marty's journey in this. Um, Ian, I'm going to come back to you. I'm, what do you think about Marty's well, journey, his character development? You guys doing this this podcast are more up to uh, up on your hero's journey than I am. So I had to do some Googling of like, oh, yeah, remind me a little bit about what the hero's journey is. So I will say if, if we're talking sort of the traditional journey, the traditional steps and that sort of thing, there are a lot of ways – that Marty lines up perfectly in a lot of ways that he doesn't. Um, and I think the, the one contribution that I might make to this conversation is to say, I think George McFly is having his own hero's journey alongside Marty um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go through like all the the steps of the monomyth or anything. I just really liked the fact that Mar- Marty's kind of learning to believe in himself because he takes on a mentor role that he, be, he takes that on to become his own, to go on his own journey. Like he can't finish his own until he kind of steps out of himself to, to mentor George. I thought that was an interesting kind of switch of things. The one part I, I thought I on the here stuff on this podcast. Thanks. The, Say that again, Justin. I always learned stuff on this podcast. I didn't hey. pick up on that. Yeah. Good stuff. The death of the mentor. Doc Brown does die. 
Yes, he does. And technically, when he goes back in time, he's it's to him, it's a ghost of Doc Brown because Doc Brown dies. And so he writes the letter for Doc in the future to try and prevent the death. Anyway, but I thought of that point because I thought, well, where's the death of a mentor? And I thought, oh, no, no, he watched Doc Brown die. So there's the yeah. death of the mentor. Yeah, another important prop. So basically what we're saying here is that Doc Brown is uh, Qui-Gon and um, – and that makes M- Marty Obi Wan, and that makes George Anakin. Okay. Kind of. <laughs> Marty's also somehow Luke at the same time. Yeah, Doc yeah, yeah, well, that's right. That was the other Luke. Yeah. And that would make Ray. <laughs> I don't know. Marty's daughter. I don't know. Yeah, Marty's I daughter. I, I lost it. I lost it. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. So, okay. does Doc in the original timeline is he wearing the bulletproof vest? Now that's where time travel gets tricky, Justin. It gets a little fuzzy. Mm. So we don't have we, an answer for that one. All right. According to the bell that happens, no. The little chime happens when he comes up and sees him looking dead. See, there you go. But okay. did Doc already have that in, in the first timeline? That's Yeah, it's not like Terminator. It's in a time loop. See, and according to Loki and the time TVA is that there's a sacred timeline. <laughs> Stop with that. Oh, Lord. All right. Um, world building. We've talked a lot about this. Is there anything we need to add to to world building? Anything we haven't touched on? I mean, no, I don't know if there was that much product I, placement in the 80s or not. But No, but I think the, the payoff, though, that I mentioned earlier is the world building. The fact that they have these same scenes, the clock tower, the diner. The, the the Hill Valley Square that repeat themselves through three movies and do it in a way to where you love the movies, not, not all of us, but where you love all three and like to see that payoff come out and still be a world building, you know, throughout three different generations. Yeah, it's something similar. I just mentioned the fact that the the movie rewards you for paying attention, and it's I always love does. that. Lone yeah, this is not a movie you can watch yeah. while being on your smartphone. Yeah, put your phone down. We need more of these. Get off your phones, kids. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts uh, on Back to the Future, Ian. We're going to start with you. Oh boy, I I don't know that I have much more to say than than what I've said. Um, the the time travel. I, I I said I had a quibble about how it handles time travel. I will also say that it doesn't matter, right? Uh, It doesn't matter and it doesn't hurt this movie. And it makes me think of the scene in, I think it's Austin Powers 2 where he goes back in time (laughs) and he has the the little conversation with Basil Exposition and and Basil Exposition is basically like, I suggest you just don't worry about that. And then he looks to the camera and he says, and that goes for you too. (laughs) It's like, a little bit what I feel like this movie is doing. Like, you know what? Let's just enjoy this. Absolutely. Somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Justin, what about you? Uh, final thoughts no, on I mean, the future? I, I, I'd agree. I Unfortunately, sometimes when I'm prepping for this podcast, I look at the films almost as if I'm trying to review them and not necessarily look for deeper meaning. Um, so I have to get myself out of that mindset. But unfortunately, I didn't for this film. And I try, I try to be really critical of it. Um, and it's just so hard. Like there's so much yeah. attention to detail. Um, whoever was in charge of making sure things lined up on set did a fantastic job because 
you get you notice so much more every time you watch this film like it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and then it only expands further as you watch two and three um but i mean there's a reason this film and this trilogy is a classic like it is in every single one of these categories that we talked about it is solid it's not lacking at any point and at no point in the movie do you feel bored even after dozens of rewatches you are engaged and interested Mm -hmm. in the characters and just all of it it's fantastic Corey, uh i'm gonna echo what i said in the beginning this movie is all about nostalgia and feeling instantly teleported back um as you watch it now if for those of us that were able to watch it in the in the theaters or when we were kids, you instantly get time port- time traveled back to that moment. Uh, I think newer generations just appreciate it because it's just a good, fun story. It holds up well. And uh, I think when you look at Back to the Future, the references it has in pop culture, popularity, Big Bang Theory, uh, the Avengers movie. I mean, the way that it just has become part of who we are. Chicago Cubs finally win in a World Series. How epic that is. I mean, all of these things, 2015 actually happened, and we were all talking about Back to the Future then. It's probably got rewatched. That movie got rewatched probably around that time more than any other. And then uh, Michael J. Fox and uh, his struggles with Parkinson's and and seeing how heroic he's been and, and how forefront he's been throughout his career and how beloved him and um, – him and Doc are, you know, just the way that they are as characters is absolutely wonderful. They just had a, a, a show they did a while ago where they were on it together and they came out and hugged. I'm not kidding. I'm a 46 year old man watching this from this movie that, you know, these characters and I was watching, I was tearing on my, I was like, Oh my gosh, look at this. It's so emotional, you yeah. know, because it's such a beautiful duo to see. And so when you watch that, you feel that and you just love these characters. You love these actors who did this. Um, Michael J. Fox just saw an interview today with him on TikTok. Someone was playing where he was just a couple years ago was in the house, went into the living room and was flipping through the channels and it was on. He sat down and watched it and his family was like, where's he been? You know, he's gone for 30 minutes. They came in and yeah. found him. What are you doing? I'm watching back to the future. Yeah. And he goes, man, this is such a great show. And so he just loved it. And it's, you know, here he was in the movie, but he was enjoying it and loving it. And so it just shows you how important this movie is and how, how this is such a popular, I'm going to say probably best, if not, if not the best, one of the top three trilogies of all time. <laughs> back to that. Yeah. I, I love this movie and I think, I think most people do like it has so much heart in it and we love these characters. It's so well put together. And you know, something I was struck by a couple of rewatches cause I watched this multiple times a year was that, there's really not a villain. I mean, Biff kind of is, but not in a way that's like you can't beat him. The really, the real antagonist in this film, the only time there really is an antagonist, I think, is in that last scene where it's actually time itself. Not to go super esoteric on you, but really, I mean, he's got one chance to get you know the DeLorean to hit the lightning bolt and all that stuff, and that's the only time where there's really like this is a thing I don't know if I can beat. Is that? And I think that that also is lends to the fact that we all can kind of identify with that and we just feel good. Like we all are struggling with time is the only <laughs> time is the only enemy we really can't fight. Um, but it's, it's so sweet and, and such, like I said, so much heart. It's hard not to love this movie. 
Well, and how true is that, right? Time is the only thing that we can't beat. It's the thing that's going to get us all in the end. Yeah. All right. Um, Ian, before Dark we let you go, is, like, is there – hold on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything, Ian, that you would like to plug? Anything you can tell us about that you have your, it's coming up? I have nothing to plug. I can tell you that if you are looking for a Shakespearean adaptation of Back to the Future, you could find it. It's out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's in my classroom. I've enjoyed all of all of the Shakespearean adaptations. I'm still working my way through the Avengers one because that one's a little thick. It is the last one I picked up. Good stuff. Yeah, and I'll have links to to your website and your social media stuff in the in the show notes. Thanks. And uh, yeah, we'll pass it along. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com, or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend and support us by writing a review on your favorite podcast catcher. Our next episode will be a review of Guardians of the Galaxy with special guest Adam Bray. And as you know, we are giving one lucky listener a digital copy of the Back to the Future trilogy tonight. All you had to do was look for the pinned tweet on our Twitter profile and like and retweet the tweet to enter. And the winner of the digital copy of Back to the Future Trilogy is Ross Holliman. Congratulations, Ross. Be sure to direct message us on Twitter and we'll send you the code for the digital copy. And we have another announcement. During each of our next several episodes, we will be giving away a digital copy of each of the previously released Mission Impossible movies. For our next episode, we will be giving one lucky listener a digital copy of Mission Impossible, the first one. All you have to do to enter is leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast by Tuesday, 425-23. Also, be sure to email us after you've left the review so that we know how to contact you. The winner will be announced on the next episode of Reading Between the Reels. And if you'd like to contribute to our next show, send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Guardians of the Galaxy and we'll share it on the next episode. 